Welcome to GovCast. I am your host, Managing Editor Amy Kluber. We are well into the effects of the COVID-19 response efforts, having been social distancing ourselves wherever we go, minimizing unnecessary travel, and working remotely. As we've seen and heard, the technological impact to the increased nationwide teleworking situation is paramount. Congress has approved a $2 trillion stimulus bill that includes provisions for the Technology Modernization Act. Organizations from commercial to public are incorporating 3D printing to help alleviate supply chain shortages. And recently formed is an all-volunteer group aimed at assisting government agencies in their tech challenges wherever needed. Formed a few weeks ago at time of recording, the U.S. Digital Response was founded by former leaders who led the founding of the U.S. Digital Service in addition to working in the tech industry. Here with us is its co-founder and CEO, Raylene Young, who comes from the private industry with previous tenures at Stripe and Facebook. She emphasizes the collaborative nature of the group toward making a true impact amid the coronavirus response and government at large. Raylene, thank you so much for joining us on GovCast. It's awesome to have you. You're working on some important work that I'm excited to hear more about. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Give us a rundown of what you're currently doing right now with the U.S. Digital Response. Sure. I guess maybe it might help to start with a little background on, on how we got started and, and really what the original intent was. So we only, it's a very new effort. So I guess I'll say, you know, anything we talk about, things might look a little different in a week, let alone like a few weeks. So things are changing very rapidly. But we originally started up based on seeing the impact the coronavirus crisis was having on government services, really at all levels. And we saw a need for potentially volunteers, especially with a technology background, to step in and potentially help partner with government groups to get them the help they needed. So that was a very high level intention. And, and what we saw as we got started, started was we basically built two sides. One side was finding qualified volunteers. We kind of put calls out, but also sourced from our own networks. And on the other side, um, started talking to groups of, of government leaders and essentially, and in the end, ended up focusing more on state and local because we saw both their direct interaction with residents and the help that they needed were things that we thought we could help with really quickly. The origin of the group was basically you know, a mix of people with experience in government and government technology and myself, who has more of a, I mostly come from the private sector. So that from the very beginning, it's kind of had this split view of how do we work with government, but how do we also take the best practices from the tech industry to bring in that help? So that's how it started. Today, what basically we have kind of a few teams up and running where every day we will talk to or hear from government groups that need help or write in to ask questions. And then on our end, we you know, try to figure out what we have available that can help them. And that can look like either volunteers. So in some cases, a city might write in or a state and say, hey, we, we could really use some help on you know, front-end web development or someone who could write a better parser for us because we're getting all of these paper forms. And in that case, we might just pick a person or two and have them go work with the government team directly. In other cases, it might be a product that we already know exists and we can just like route them to. So you know, a, a team, a, a, a state or city might ask, oh, is there a good you know, symptom checker for coronavirus out there like, that we could look at? And then we might just send them a link 
to a product that already exists. And then the last one is a little bit more open-ended where people write in or, or ask, or we discover a need that we don't see being met yet by an existing product or solution. And in that case, we actually kind of kick off what looks sort of like a, you know, a product discovery team where we start to assess like what's out there. We might interview or talk to more states and cities and counties to understand the needs. And then we try to figure out what, what we could build that's reusable for, for all those different groups. With this group, it's mainly made up of volunteers. Is that right? Yeah, it's actually entirely made up of volunteers. Wow. So you're a volunteer as well. Yes. Yeah. Do you think this is like a game changer in government? We usually don't hear much volunteer efforts directly serving the government. So I guess as a, as a disclaimer, I'm pretty new to the government. I, I think, as I mentioned, my background has primarily been working at private tech companies. And I most recently finished a stint with the Aspen Institute's Tech Policy Hub doing a fellowship there. Um, so I'm kind of new to this world. I would say I think what we're doing is probably pretty unique in the rapidity of how much we've scaled and how deeply integrated we have. We have this mix of like public and private sector background folks. I, I think there are certainly lots of volunteer efforts out there. I know like Code for America has done a lot with their brigades and just the projects they've taken on. But I think because it's all volunteers, we have this very interesting mix of different skill sets and backgrounds in our volunteer team. So you mentioned previously that you were at Stripe and Facebook. Um, those are pretty big names. What was it like working there? So I primarily worked on, you know, what I would call kind of like core platforms for both companies and was on the, the leadership and management side. So, you know, by the end, I was kind of leading bigger teams with pretty cross-cutting efforts. So I guess I think both companies are very special. And I would say just I saw a lot of growth there. So I think the biggest thing I can say is just having been really lucky to work with very, very talented people, but also to work in environments where, you know, every month looked different. The teams had grown, the products had become more you know, complex or used by a lot more people. And so I sort of have been used to this environment where you have to adapt very quickly to what users might need or your, your own teammates. Wow. So why public service now? I know you mentioned this is your first stint in government. Have you always been drawn to maybe helping the public good? It's sort of half government that we're helping governments. But as I mentioned, the whole group is volunteer run. It's unaffiliated. It's nonpartisan. It's just, it's really, it's kind of standalone volunteer effort. But yeah, I've always been drawn to and more like civic engagement and, and trying to see how I can help the government and the community. So something that I think also I should say that is really special about our volunteers is we, we certainly share a lot of those values. I think all of the, the group, including many people like myself who have not worked with government before, came into this knowing that they were here to help. They, were, they can do anything and all things that would be helpful. And there's a lot of emphasis on empathy and communication and really collaboration with people who work for the government. So when you left Facebook, I did read somewhere that you were the youngest engineering director at a public company with over 10,000 employees. Has age been something that hindered you in the past or do you think it's further motivation? I don't know if I would say it's hindered. I think it's something, there is something to be said for just not necessarily you know, fitting into the, the, what the, the average profile looks like for people in your peer group. And I think, you know, so that's something that I've, I've always, I've experienced in a variety of ways, just from either age or gender or just kind of your background. But it's not something, I, I think it's something that's been motivating for me. I also think diversity of all kinds is really important in any environment. So just having, being a different voice or just trying to share a different perspective is something that I think gives me energy and has been, has been motivating. Do you think your previous experiences contributed to what you are doing now with the digital response? 
Oh, for sure. I think, as I mentioned, one of the biggest things that struck me here is, well, how quickly we've had to evolve and change. I think that's been just this idea of scaling and how do we find anything that might be slowing us down and try to change the process or change the people and kind of make improvements to help us go faster. That's certainly been something I've been applying a lot. I think another piece is recruiting and people. I think something that's very special about working with volunteers and all of our volunteers is how much they want to help and how passionate they are about trying to help, especially when it's volunteer-based, right? So many people have other full-time jobs or kids at home or just so many responsibilities. But there is a lot that's similar around how do you explain what we're trying to do? How do you onboard them quickly? How do we ensure that they're placed on the right projects? And that means kind of a two-sided fit, like assessing what our volunteers might be good at and assessing what our government partners might need. That's actually something we hear about in government all the time now is recruiting the next generation of workforce, basically. Retooling the workforce in the IT realm is especially important. Do you think this effort will maybe change the landscape of government moving forward? Yeah, it's something um, we talk a lot about within the team because it's you know, I think a lot of the systems that we're coming across are, we're not designed for this level. In some ways, we're not designed for a modern environment in terms of technology, right? So a lot of things might not work as well on mobile phones. And that, that's sort of been true for a while. But what we're seeing is they also just weren't designed in many cases for the types of the load that these services are seeing. So, you know, you look at a small business loan application form or unemployment benefit application form, and they're seeing orders of magnitude more uh, requests right now than they were before. And I think in order to meet that demand, we're going to end up doing a lot of things to kind of improve the user experience, improve the accessibility, having applications be easily used online, or maybe to do kind of more like upfront filtering or guidance on an education around what benefits different people are eligible for. So I, th I think we'll see a lot of these new patterns be applied to government tools. And my hope is, I think at the end of this, you know, we'll start to see that in more places and new systems that get put in place will hopefully have those principles baked in from the beginning. I guess another thing I would say we... It's part of our values is really around openness and accessibility and extensibility. So when we when we've been building solutions for a specific city or locality, we explicitly try um, from day one to document how we're doing it, open source the different components, and make it more of a recipe than a kind of locked in you know full stack solution that that's tailor made for one city. And we really try to bias towards this more open and kind of extensible model. And I, I hope that also, you know, changes things and, and becomes more prevalent. How do you see how much of an impact the digital response is going to have amid the coronavirus response? We hear so much about everything that's going on with the technology space right now, especially getting that stood up for federal agencies who are seeing so much importance in technology, especially as we're working remote. How do you see the digital response making that impact? Yeah, I think ultimately we're here to help however we can. And maybe that sounds generic, but I guess what I'll say is there's so many efforts that are happening and it's just awesome to see. And so I think of ourselves as we're just trying to fill gaps if we see them and not necessarily to like replace anything that exists or kind of like really set up something that, you know, we're trying to kind of carve out some space. It's we really fill in gaps. So as a result, we will like, here's an example. Let's say we see a problem that we're hearing from a bunch of cities. I think our first instinct is to actually go see what people are doing already. And we've been in touch. Oh, I'll share a concrete example is, you know, we were getting all these requests from a lot of jurisdictions and different groups saying, hey, we want to better understand the spread of coronavirus in our community. And specifically, like, how do we do the modeling? How do we see what different measures we take might have on the spread? So let's say if we pick shelter in place tomorrow, 
what could that do to our, our coronavirus case spread? And, and this was a super important topic. And we thought about it and like, what's out there, right? We actually then uh, got connected to this tool called covidactnow.org. And we saw what they were doing and we're like, this is great. And so then we kind of switched to a mode where we were trying to help bridge the gap between that tool and the government groups we were seeing. And that tool was another fully volunteer tech background. People made it and it was it was a great tool on its own. But what we were able to do is just get it into more hands and then help give them almost like a stream of feature requests that we were hearing from the field. And so I think that maybe is, is kind of what I think we're trying to do is like, if there's a gap, we'll try to help fill it. But if anyone's already doing it, we'll really just try to help amplify them. Great. I feel like that's a huge need right now, especially as the response kind of came so quickly and things change so quickly. I feel like government is tend to be known to move rather slowly. Where do you see the future of digital response as we monitor how the coronavirus response plays out? Yeah, it's really hard. I'll be honest, it's hard for me to see too far ahead. I think we are, you know, we're really trying to, it's like every day people log online and, and I think we, we chat like, okay, what, what are we hearing today? What's important? What can we do? So I think we'll see. I think what I, my vision, I think, you know, it's something the founders have talked a lot about is we want to be helpful to this crisis as much as we can. But we also want to make sure whatever we do, the impact of that or the things that we build or support can carry on, even if U.S. digital response was to, you know, kind of stand down or fold down. And so that's why the, the emphasis has been on like open source, sharing recipes, sharing best practices versus like personally building, you know, vertical software systems. So that's kind of our vision is that every day we want to be helpful and that can be you know, sharing information, connecting people to tools. But all the things we build hopefully will live on just as content. And so as potentially we head more towards recovery and people are coming out of quarantine, we could potentially just wind down and have our, our work live on and our volunteers obviously continue to contribute to open source projects. But potentially as an organization, we may not need to stay in the same shape that we are now. Right. So given your um, leadership experience and accomplishments, what advice can you give workplaces around the country who have had to quickly shift their operations to work remotely that has so many things that come with that, different styles of leadership, different ways of conducting meetings? How can leaders adapt during this time of uncertainty? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll acknowledge that having a more of a technology background, I think I've been very lucky in our field to have really great access to tools. So, you know, I think the first two things come to mind. I do think one is tools. I think tools have been actually surprisingly impactful in influencing just how you work and how effective you can be. So I'm sure everyone's, you know, trying to set up good VC uh, video conferencing tools or communication tools. And I, I think that actually makes a huge difference. And I found that when we take the time to like cut the whole team over to a new tool that we know is going to be more useful, it actually really pays off dividends for a long time. The other one is a, a lot of it's around communication. So I'll say at Stripe, Stripe is very, I think, well known for having very strong distributed teams, having a lot of offices around the world, having people who work remotely from home. And, and there's a lot of habits I learned there that, that I carry over now and I think are useful to any people managing remote teams. And a lot of it is around being very, very clear about communication, notes, and handoffs of information. So examples such like there's always a meeting doc, like a document that has your agenda and has notes. And that way, if anyone is has trouble hearing or can't make that one call, you can always go back and see what happened and, and find the source of truth. Being very explicit about who owns which kind of thread or task. And, you know, I, I think literally the way we use email is very descriptive in that way. Like typically when we add someone to an email thread, there's always like a, you know, hi, Matt, like 
see, you know, see below for more context, but I would love for you to follow up on like these things. And I think just being very explicit about all the handoffs can go a long way because you realize once you can't see people, a lot of things are carried through these kind of implicit, like, you know, you nod at someone in a meeting and you're like, oh, they, they knew I wanted them to take that on. Right. But when you lose that, you actually have to write it down and say, as I mentioned in the meeting, like, please follow up on this thing. Um, so I think, I think that's, that's been hugely helpful. If anybody wanted to get involved in the digital response, whether it's just an individual or maybe even a company or someone who works in government now, how would they get involved? Oh, great question. Well, the best place to start is for is to, to go to our website. So on there, there's a lot of information around what we look for in volunteers and our mission, soon to be a mission and values. But the biggest thing is there is a form that anyone can uh, fill out on the government side that can request help. And we've gotten, we get requests every day and, and you can, you know, I'd rather people fill that out than hold back and not be sure of, of whether we can help. Right. And people have written in just saying, oh, do you have anyone who can advise us on this topic? Or in some cases, people have written in and said, you know, I've built this tool and do you think other governments could make use of it? So I would definitely start at the website and apply either as a volunteer or as someone who needs help. I think that's one. I think the second piece is, you know, getting the word out to government groups that your listeners like might think could use our help. Uh, and that's been and that's been really helpful. And, and I think referring us to other states and cities, I think that's actually been paying off a lot in that what we find is a lot of these groups are, are really facing the same problems. And so in some cases, when we hear from more different groups, we start to see what the common problems are. And that helps us build a solution that's just more extensible and shareable from day one. And so right now, that's probably our main focus is actually more on getting in touch with more government groups than on sourcing volunteers specifically. Well, I look forward to seeing what else you are doing with the organization. And I think this is incredibly important, especially right now, as we're trying to deal with the unknowns of coronavirus and how we're adapting to our employment situation as a result. So I very much look forward to seeing what else you're doing. And thank you so much for talking to me about this. Of course, it was great chatting. Thank you. GovCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you hear, let us know by leaving us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. GovCast is produced by Amy Kluber. Theme music provided by Big Hoax. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com. Sponsor at